Before you listen, we wanted to give you an important update. One of the guests in this podcast, Kelly Mays, was murdered in early January 2024 by her estranged partner. She was such a valued collaborator, really smart and insightful, and a joy to work with. And we are just really rattled and sad that she's no longer with us. Our work together to end violence remains critical. Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. I'm Sally Lasky, NSVRC's Evaluation Coordinator. This episode is a conversation about the process and findings from an equity-focused sexual assault community assessment process in Michigan. I was joined by Kelly Mays, licensed therapist, poet, Community and Staff Training Program Manager with Hagera Health, Inc., and MPHI Community Sexual Violence Prevention Advisory Committee member, as well as Sarah McGurr, PhD. Sarah is the manager of the Office on Gender, Sexuality, and Violence at MPHI. She is an evaluator, facilitator, and passionate advocate. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to you both. I'm so happy that you're on the podcast with us today. Um, could you share a little bit about yourself? Sarah, could you start us off? Absolutely. Uh, hello. I'm so happy to be here uh, chatting with you. Uh, so as Sally mentioned, my name is Sarah. I use she, her pronouns. And I am with the Michigan Public Health Institute's Center for Healthy Communities. And we recently formed a new office on gender, sexuality, and violence that I'm leading. So in that space, I work with uh, partners to advance reproductive and sexual well-being and to build a violence-free future for women and LGBTQIA plus communities. And I've been lucky enough to be an evaluator and um, a thought partner for Michigan's CDC-funded prevention education program for uh, just about 10 years now, since 2013. Wow, I feel lucky that I've been able to work with you for a lot of that time, not all of it, but um, so good to have you here. And Kelly, what would you like our listeners to know about you? So thank you for having me. My name is Kelly Ann Mays, pronounced she, her. And uh, I had the amazing opportunity to uh, be on the advisory committee and kind of not in the initial process, but in like more of like the second, you know, let's gather information process. And I've been working with Sarah now for a little over a year and been able to give my insight, kind of help with guiding the project on into the next phase. So I'm really, really thankful and blessed to be a part of this. Uh, well, we're thankful to have you here to share your experience with us. So let's let's dig in to how you all came to be involved in this community assessment work. Absolutely. Just as a little bit of background, we come at this work, at, you know, knowing that people in all walks of life and all identities experience sexual violence, but that some groups are more at risk. And let's just be 100% clear here, identity isn't the risk factor. Simply being you know, LGBTQ plus or black or a woman in and of itself isn't risky. It's 
beautiful. Instead, it's, you know, those systems that predictably treat folks different and put them at a disadvantage and in terms of their health, economics, social support, safety, and these things happen systematically. And so we see the risk profiles of certain communities increase um, accordingly. So all of that is to say, uh, we in Michigan believe that RPE work needs to be one part of a larger movement to end many kinds of oppression, including racism, ableism, sizeism, poverty, in addition to violence and gender oppression. So by shifting those kind of underlying power dynamics and strengthening the rights and influence of people most impacted by sexual violence, we see, I see it as our role to yeah, create safer futures for our beloved communities. Uh, so we realized that this value, so Michigan RPE program realized with the help of a lot of partners that our state was doing a lot of really great prevention work, but like many RPE programs, a, a good portion of our resources were going to work creating you know, protective environments and preventing sexual violence in white, cisgender, heterosexual Michigan communities, rather than communities that were maybe more at increased risk of violence. So we wanted to be part of changing this, but we didn't really know how. <laughs> so we decided to embark on a participatory assessment to build our own capacity, to do this work better in those communities uh, that are more at risk and uh, to hopefully guide our next five-year cycle of RPE. Um, that's what brought us to this assessment work. And how, um, how did the connection form for, for you, Kelly? How did you become involved in the assessment project? I, it started off with just like an email and I responded, they reached out and did the initial first process steps, asking me questions. And for some reason, they liked me enough <laughs> to ask me to come back and, and sit on the committee um, in the initial process where they were gathering more information. And then from there, you know, it just kind of evolved into this um, advisory space where I felt like my opinion mattered. I felt seen and I felt like I was helping to, to move uh, sexual assault prevention um, into its next phase, mm. you know, or at least bring it up to 2023. Um, and I think that the work that they're doing there is great. And I admire them for all the work that they're doing to make uh, the world a safer place for my babies. Yes. And that that's, it is really powerful to, you know, hear about this very intentional focus on building equity mm -hmm. in the process, in this participatory, as you called it, Sarah, uh, this community engaged assessment process. And I wonder if you can just, if you have anything else to share about why this approach was the was the strategy for, for Michigan and moving moving the prevention work forward. Absolutely. And uh, thank you, Kelly, for your, your kind words and reflections. Uh, Kelly has been instrumental partner the last year and brings so much to the table. Uh, so, 
you asked about why we why an equity focused or participatory assessment was important. So in my job at MPHI, we do we do a, a lot of assessment work. I'm an evaluator. Uh, it's my job to ask people questions and, and crunch the data. Um, but we are definitely not experts uh, when it comes to all of the communities that we decided our P Michigan RPE wanted to um, you know, look into the needs and assets and aspirations of. Uh, so we really truly believe that in order to make the most equity focused and accurate, frankly, assessment that people most impacted in those communities, the focus needed to be actively engaged. So we decided to take a leap uh, that we'd never done before in Michigan RPE and um, took a much more participatory approach. Uh, we you know, shared power, we invited critique, uh, and we just, we had to open ourselves up to lots and lots of learning. And one of the components that we was incorporated in this was forming and working alongside this advisory committee that Kelly mentioned. Uh, we called it the AC, if you hear me say that word. And you know, a lot of assessments have advisory committees. Similarly, this was intended uh, to ground us in you know, what are the current realities of local communities? Uh, what do folks with you know, lived experience and deep roots um, within with their neighbors, with these identities, suggest would be good practices in ending sexual violence. I think though that the relationships that we built with this advisory committee were really what helped us deepen our equity practice and keep us laser focused on trying to uphold those values. Uh, so, you know, in, in our equity practice, we weren't just trying to highlight disparities or look more deeply at existing data at some intersections, you know, disaggregating data. We did those practices, but we also unpacked and addressed a lot within our team. And, you know, acknowledging, recognizing issues around power and trust between, you know, our organization, the state health department and communities or us as individuals and our partners. And we really needed to do this as a team because our team is dominated by white, cisgender, largely able-bodied, economically privileged folks. And we are embedded in a very white system. And so we understand sexual violence and its root causes through that lens. And we, we see solutions through that lens as well. So we needed other lived experiences, other deeply rooted connections in community with folks that were more affected to get that diversity of perspectives. And we did this work you know, as individuals of learning and unlearning and how our power shows up where we're reproducing patterns of oppression. Um, yeah. And we also valued lots of different kinds of knowledge. Uh, so we you know, collected secondary data, but we didn't over-prioritize it. We also looked at blog posts and reflections from practitioners. And we did interviews with people like Kelly and folks from all over the state that are outside of our normal networks. Um, 
And we did some really in-depth sense-making sessions to put it all in the context of Michigan. Uh, Kelly, what do you think some of the, the equity considerations were? Um, if I could kind of, I want to talk a little bit when you're talking about, about connection, what I, what I, what I felt, what I experienced when we were talking, not just about, you know, well, tell me your story as a survivor or tell me your experience. It wasn't, it wasn't so much there as when we listened to each other's stories or we talked about our experiences, it was like a sense of connection um, and kind of a, a solidarity among, um, and we were kind of inspired to support each other, but also inspired to continue the work. Um, and that you don't see that a lot or often, you guys kind of held space, you humanized us, you humanized our experiences. Um, and, I, and I think that that's one of the things that was the most impactful for me, at least. I've I've been on advisory committees before for um, various things, but I felt seen and and oftentimes and you know when I go and I speak um, as as a as, as a survivor, you you have these you know like it's usually for fundraising events, right? And I and I talk about all the time like, well, I'm here at the fundraiser event speaking on behalf of survivors, um, but the people that I'm speaking to don't look like me. May not have the same uh, economic background as me, or same, you know, raise the same as me. Um, but I'm speaking on survivors that look like me on their behalf, and being able to connect with other survivors, you know, who have similar backgrounds, or I think was just like, oh, I'm not alone in this, mm-hmm. uh, and someone cares, you know. And I'm not just speaking, you know, so that people will donate their money. I'm speaking so that we can change lives, you know. Um, and, and prevent sexual violence. And I think that that was one of the most beautiful experiences um, about the, the the whole process. It is beautiful. And I want to say thank you for inviting us and our listeners in. It's, it's, it's a different experience. It's this intimate experience learning about what this was like for for both of you and not just the learning that happened but that relationship building that connection and we're all about you know sharing those real world practical things here at the NSVRC but on this podcast specifically especially related to this coming together and having so many, we need everyone, as many folks as we can coming together in order to create actual solutions. Absolutely. And I'm just wondering, you shared, Kelly, these ways that you felt heard Mm -hmm. and and brought in and, and cared for in the process. Is there anything specific that was said or done or an approach to these conversations that you could highlight as, oh, that, that way that that was approached really helped create that, that connection and safety for you. I think that one of the things that, that I really enjoyed is that first, how they set up everything was like, there was initial time to reflect on, you know, last time we met, there was time to reflect after we met in that that space, but there was also, if there was something maybe that that, that they said that you know needed some correction or or, or um, they were open to listening, they made sure that they tailored our the messaging and that it was uh, culturally sensitive. It, they asked questions. Oftentimes, people assume 
um, and don't ask questions, but they ask clarifying questions and ask for permission to ask clarifying questions, which people don't often do. You know, they ask questions, but don't understand sometimes the questions that they ask can be offensive um, and culturally insensitive, but they ask questions, say, hey, I, I want clarification on this. If it's okay, I want to ask this question. And then they would ask the question. So they, and they were very intentional, which I love. And it just, it just made you feel like you could be your authentic self mm-hmm. and that the information that you were providing was information that was valued. And it's just a, overall just a really uh, um, healing experience. Um, and, and I know that sounds weird because it's an advisory committee, but the way that they just, they set it up and then, you know, they had us break out into different uh, breakout groups and what I loved about that is, so we had our, our populations and over each meeting, they said, well, you can go to the group that you're feeling the most aligned with today, you know, because we all, we all have these intersections. You know, I'm, I'm Afro-Indigenous. I'm also queer. You know, I'm almost, I'm also a mom. I'm also, you know, a wife, you know, I have all these different, you know, intersections, different things that make me who I am. You know, a mountain is not just a mountain. There's rocks and sand and dirt and all those different things that make that mountain a mountain, right? And so, you know, one day I might align more with my indigenous side. One day I might align with being uh, more African-American, but they gave us space, you know, to speak on, you know, where where we kind of gravitated to um, during those, those uh, sessions. And I love that, you know, we weren't just pigeonholed into that, you know, to that space and they honored our intersectionality. Well, and I felt that in reading the report, like I felt like, oh, this this came from humans, right? It mm-hmm. really, I, I saw that there was language that the invi- advisory committee came together on mm-hmm. and made decisions that we're going to use this and here's why. You know, I, I saw, like I, I could feel, I could feel people's presence in, in reading that. And I read a lot of stuff and I don't always feel like it came from humans. And now sometimes it's not coming from humans, right? So, well, thank you for that. I don't know, Sarah, do you have any practical ideas about some of the, the about the practice you used that also like stood out or you felt like it's something you would, you would do again to help support that um, relationship development? Absolutely. I think one of the big lessons learned that I will definitely carry forward with me uh, was around slowing it down. We initially had the timeline for this assessment as about six months. And I believe we ended up um, going for just short of two years. Uh, We ended up meeting with our advisory committee 18 times. And these were 90 to two, 90 minute to two hour meetings. And it was an intensive process. And, and at times it was really uncomfortable mm. because we were inviting people to be vulnerable with us, to be authentic. And in order to do that, we had to show up in that way as well. Mm. And I will say that hard work and that time was incredibly valuable. Um, the results were incredibly valuable. We, I, I think we built a level of trust by centering relationship and that heart work and being open to admitting when we were wrong. Mm-hmm. That has just 
like you said, you can see it in the results and the recommendations that um, they're informed by such deep dialogue and brilliant um, community members at the table. So taking that time though to create a space where that dialogue can happen, I will definitely do again. And there were a couple of tools I wanted to make sure to share with folks that are just really practical in terms particularly of the practice of actively trying to work against oppression, work against that those power dynamics. And that included uh, setting expectations around decision-making authority. So when a, a big decision came about, we had a tool in place that we would use called the gradients of agreement, where uh, people... Mm -hmm. We would uh, position an, an option and ask people to place where they were on this gradient. So anyone could have the opportunity to veto a decision and uh, bring us back to the, the drawing board. So being able to share power in that way ensured that folks, folks' voices were represented, not just the loudest folks in the room. Uh, we also used a lot of processes from We All Count, which is a fantastic uh, company out of Canada uh, and one product or one of their tools I wanted to mention was called a motivation touchstone where we got clear what all the motivations were for this project uh, for our for RPE as a program for our organization of Michigan Public Health Institute for us as a team for me as an individual for us as a what we hoped the motivation was for the the field as a whole uh, and by seeing where our goals sort of overlapped. Uh, we could see where those um, points of intersection were, but we could also be transparent about what else we were hoping to get out of this professionally and personally. And I think the last thing I'll share is I think <laughs> being very willing to start with humility and just being comfortable with how much you don't know. And that if, if anyone takes anything away from this conversation, I think it should be that if you are in a position to try something, to, to take actions, to move against oppression, start. Even if you don't know how to do it perfectly yet. We were completely building the plane as we were flying it. Um, we, and we talked to a lot of smart people, including like folks like Sally and NSBRC and other RP evaluators and technical assistance folks and folks in equity spaces and in our focus communities, which I don't think I mentioned, uh, were LGBTQ folks, Black folks, Native folks, and uh, dis disability communities. So I think just trying to learn as much as we could along the way, but just taking action with what we knew at the time, and then holding ourselves accountable to be transparent if it turned out that wasn't the right step in the future uh, and it was scary to do that professionally stepping out in that way but it really felt aligned with pushing back against that white supremacist kind of value or practice around perfectionism to be able to admit when we're wrong and uh, people understood <laughs> and were still accepting of us and still invest in the process and perhaps more because we were willing to to um, show that vulnerability. And, and just to add, I think by them being transparent, I think that that was one of the things that built trust the most. And also um, having them kind of frame our feedback as a treasure, 
you know, um, and welcoming it into that space. Like, you know, you're, you're valued here. What you say is valued here. Oftentimes when, you know, you talk about your survivorship, wherever you are at in that space, you know, people want to know details or they ask questions that are inappropriate or that might be uh, traumatizing or triggering, but there was none of that. It's like, wherever you're at, whatever feedback you can give, it's, it's a treasure to us. And, and then, and they took their time you know, as we provided our feedback. And if at any time we needed to step away, they they let us step away and they followed up with us if we had to step away. That was like the really, I, I've been in research studies and, you know, you have to step away and I have to step away because there's some some emotions that I need to, to unpack. And, you know, the researchers, they're not calling me to say, hey, you're all right. But they did that. And, um, you know, I, I forever will love these people ever, ever, forever, ever. <laughs> But I, but I love that and definitely something that I'm going to incorporate, you know, into my work um, to make sure that people feel like their experience is, is the thing that we're, we're keeping on focus, keeping on the top shelf and that we're, that they're seeing, they're being seen and felt seen. It's such an important model. And it too, you know, a lot of, we get a lot of folks that reach out to our office that are figuring out how do they you know, honor and support survivors in these spaces where we're talking about prevention. Mm-hmm. And the, and you just outlined it <laughs> right there. That's exactly how we do it. And they're always going to be survivors in any group. And so that should be the approach, you know, with, with all of our work. So I think that it's just a really a great experience to hear you talk about how this was different from some previous experiences that you've had. And I'm sure many of us have been engaged to share information and have not always felt that we were being included in a loving way. There's actually a session at NSAC about measuring love as part of our evaluation and and prevention work. And it's kind of uh, keying into some of the, the elements of that for me. Are there any other um, key lessons that you both have learned in this process that might be helpful to share with listeners that, you know, may be in that space, Sarah, that you talked about, about wanting to do it, but being nervous or unsure how to, how to move forward, or I should add, or folks who are really tired of being asked and not being listened to. I I need to include um all all components in this. That's a big question. Yeah. Well, I think I, if a, a foundational step that Kelly uh, spoke to a little bit is around um, how we honor and treasure what people have to offer, and I think part of that is in you know in the interactions and in the care and the love that we show and part of it is in compensating folks at rates appropriate for the expert consultation that they're providing uh, so we did a request for applications uh, process where we put out a call and did some really intentional outreach to organizations deeply embedded within and alongside our focus communities to try to expand our advisory council beyond sort of our usual partners. And we you know, used our 
contacts that we did have to say, who else can we reach out to? Would you do a warm introduction? We also just made a huge list of people from Google and did cold calls to varying degrees of success. Uh, we got, you know, on shared on listservs and, and social media in ways that we didn't expect. And we invited folks into our advisory committee process along the way as well. You know, interviewees who were phenomenal became part of advisory committee members, for example. So being able to do that RFA process, we were able to recruit this amazing group of folks that we wouldn't have known about otherwise. And we had intentionally set aside funds in our budget from a supplemental uh, from CDC to be able to compensate them at levels where it would make sense for, for their agency to um, allow them to use their time in this way. So that would be something I would definitely mm -hmm. recommend as a foundational step when you're starting out and you're planning. I, I think another key lesson I'll share is around the willingness to continue confronting our identities mm -hmm. as a team. So we had folks on our team who share many of these identities that are in our focus communities, but we are not the ones most impacted um, by these forms of oppression on a daily basis or most connected, frankly, even to these communities and to their movements for liberation. And so when we brought in these advisors, we wrestled with where to trust our expertise from an evaluation perspective, from an assessment perspective, from sexual violence prevention landscape perspective. Uh, but, and when we should defer to community lived experience and knowledge of the diversity of opinions and in knowledge and, and lives within each community. So it was consistently asking ourselves, are we the right people to make this decision? Who else do we need to bring on board? Who else needs to be consulted? We have pivoted to convening what we're calling a design collaborative. And their job as probably about 20 people, 10 to 13 organizations that are intimately connected at these intersections. And folks are gonna be looking at the recommendations from the assessment adding their perspectives about needs, assets, and aspirations of these communities, making recommendations about what programming is needed, shaping the application process, and even participating in selecting our subgrantees. So that's going to be happening over the next six to nine months or so. We're really excited about uh, kind of moving toward that participatory funding model. A couple other pieces of work that we're going to be doing are hiring a strategic communications team that's going to help us make a plan for how to share our findings and get them in the hands of folks who can actually use them mm -hmm. and how we can potentially use RPE resources to support campaigns to shift mainstream norms toward LGBTQ folks. And then the third piece of work I wanted to highlight is we are doing a ton of internal work to build our capacity within our RPE team. Uh, we are doing an equity assessment with an outside evaluator. It's going to help us see where our gaps in our anti-oppression practices are as we move to working in these new communities. We are going to uh, hire three to four what we're calling community engagement consultants uh, that are going to work as an extra layer of internal advising weekly with us 
so we can run ideas, decisions, pass them. So we have folks more connected to community, um, really engaged in all parts of the work. And then we're gonna be making a learning community within our own team to make sure that we know all that we can learn from the literature and, um, and, and folks' narratives regarding LGBTQ folks at these intersections and experiences of sexual violence. So we can show up having done our own learning as well. I'm, I'm here for all of it. I'm, I'm here for all of it. You know, I, I'm like I'm like a um, an 80s hairstyle that's been restyled to fit 2023. You know, it, you just, it, it's outdated. Um, I'm here for all of it. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that they're and I'm here for the process. Yeah. Yeah. So Kelly has agreed to come on as one of our community engagement advisors. So she's going to be one of our internal folks helping helping shape us along the way. So my 80s hairstyle, again, has been restyled to fit 2023. Um, I'm here. I love it. I mean, it all it all comes back, right? Um, with with uh, a little a little new funk. And uh, when we can, it's great to, to hear that this isn't sitting on a shelf, right? Like actively mm -hmm. changes are uh, new systems are being put in place. Capacities being built. I, I hope at some point we'll have on some of these new uh, grantees and have them talk about what they're building and developing and co-creating with folks in their communities. That's that's very exciting to hear about not only the ideas, but the approach that has been informed by the assessment process. Absolutely, we have some incredible organizations that have never been part of what mm -hmm. of sexual violence prevention funding spaces before and are doing good work around those protective factors of connectedness and bodily autonomy and we're just so excited to make those connections i really appreciate anyone who's inviting in and holding up folks that have ideas around how to make our world a more peaceful place yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about non-traditional partners. And I think I've probably said that at every, <laughs> every time we met, I was like, Hey, what about those non-traditional partners? You know, um, cause oftentimes it's like the grassroots organizations that are out there, you know, um, knocking on doors or, you know, doing delivering services that aren't a part of these like larger committees that meet at the state level, um, or at county levels. And those are the partners that, interact with, with survivors or interact and do a lot of the education, psychoeducation piece um, that needs to be included in this work. Well, I think the timing is really important. There's so um, much work that is happening within the anti-sexual violence movement. We've been talking about anti-Blackness in the movement and how we need to really interrogate that and look at the systems that folks like me have helped to create and how we're going to change them. And sometimes that's from the inside out and sometimes it's from the outside in. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out um, how, how we're all as this community um, doing that together is what I hope we're able to do at the NSVRC. We are on, we are on that plane um, with, you know, one wing, <laughs> right now, um, but we're glad to find partners that help uh, keep us uh, 
headed in the right direction and not nosediving at least yet. We're we're hopefully on the on the upswing. We're, ba think, we're balancing on that wing though. We're balancing. Yeah. Yeah. Most days. Yeah, <laughs> most days for sure. I hope so. Well, this conversation feels very balancing to me, very healing. As you as you mentioned, Kelly, about your experience. I'm just really excited for your next steps and I, I don't know if there's anything you would like to close us out with, anything else you'd like to add for our listeners to know about you, the process, or what you're looking forward to. I'm I'm really looking forward to like the next next steps when we can get out into the community and really, you know, I'm I'm all about doing community work. I do community work um in my my position at Hagira Health and I love talking to people and I love seeing the impact of the work. So that's, that's, you know, um, but I know that right now we have to start with intention and commitment and, you know, slow down, just like Sarah said, we got to slow down. But that's, that's the part that I'm looking forward to the most is like getting out there in the community and, and really seeing the work progress and impact the lives that it's intended to um, impact. Yeah, balancing that, the urgency of the need with the benefits of intentionality and an inclusive process. Yeah, it is ever-present challenge. I, I guess I would just invite folks to visit our, our webpage, uh, mphi.org backslash SVP. Uh, we have all of our amazing briefs from the Community Sexual Violence Prevention Assessment, the CSVPA there. Uh, we also welcome and encourage folks to reach out to us. At Michigan RP, we've had countless incredible conversations with RP folks and preventionists from all over the country. And we love collaborating and just learning from one another. So don't hesitate to reach out. And Kelly and I will be part of a presentation at NSAC um, this August in 2023. So if you're listening, hopefully this launches before then, but come find us. Um, come hang That's out with coffee. us at, we like at coffee. NSAC. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have some coffee and chocolate with us. Well, I hope everyone heard the five invitations they just got to learn more, to be part of this community, to connect to a meetup at our national gathering out in San Francisco, or maybe follow up with some of the stuff that will be coming out to share our experience in San Francisco with folks that aren't able to be in person with us. We'll have some opportunities for folks to connect online and in other ways. And just thank you. Thank you all for all that you're doing and being part of this amazing community of folks trying to change the world. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank Thanks you for giving us this platform. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. Please make sure to also listen to a special bonus episode where Kelly Mays, also known as Slam Poet Native Child, shares her art and performs a poem about her experience being part of this assessment process. For more resources and information about sexual violence community assessments, check out our online evaluation toolkit at nsvrc.org or connect with us by email at resources at nsvrc.org.